0: section nine of young folks treasury volume two this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by ellen preckle young folks treasury volume two edited by hamilton wright maybe myths of scandinavia section nine baldur adapted from a and e keary's version part one the dream upon a summer's afternoon it happened that baldur the bright and bold beloved of men and the gods found himself alone in his palace of Broadblink. thor was walking among the valleys his brow heavy with summer heat frey and gerda sported on still waters in their cloud-leafed ship odin for once slept on top of air throne a noonday stillness pervaded the whole earth and baldur in Broadblink, most sunlit of palaces dreamed a dream the dream of baldur was troubled he knew not whence nor why but when he awoke he found that a new and weighty care was within him it was so heavy that Baldur could scarcely carry it and yet he pressed it close to his heart and said lie there and do not fall on any one but me then he rose up and walked out from the splendor of his hall that he might seek his own mother Frisia, and tell her what had happened he found her in her crystal saloon calm and kind and ready to sympathize so he walked up to her his hands pressed closely on his heart and lay down at her feet, sighing. "'What is the matter, dear bother?' asked Frisia gently. "'I do not know, mother,' answered he. "'I do not know what the matter is, but I have a shadow in my heart.' "'Take it out, then, my son, and let me look at it,' replied Frisia. "'But I fear, mother, that if I do it will cover the whole earth.' Then Frisia laid her hand upon the heart of her son, that she might feel the shadow's shape. Her brow became clouded as she felt it, her parted lips grew pale, and she cried out, "'Oh!' Baldur, my beloved son the shadow is the shadow of death then said Baldur, i will die bravely my mother but Frija answered you shall not die at all for i will not sleep to-night until everything on earth has sworn to me that it will neither kill nor harm you so Frigga stood up and called to her everything on earth that had power to hurt or slay first she called all metals to her and heavy iron ore came lumbering up the hill into the crystal hall brass and gold, copper, silver, lead and steel, and stood before the queen, who lifted her right hand high in the air, saying, Swear to me that you will not injure Baldur. And they all swore and went. Then she called to her all stones, and huge granite came with crumbling sandstone and white lime and the round smooth stones of the seashore. And Frisia raised her arm, saying, Swear that you will not injure Baldur. And they swore and went. Then Frisia called to her the trees, and wide-spreading oak-trees, with tall ash and sombre firs, came rushing up the hill. And Frigia raised her hand, and said, Swear that you will not hurt Baldur. And they said, We swear, and went. After this Frigia called to her the diseases, who came, blown by poisonous winds, on wings of pain, to the sound of moaning. Frigia said to them, Swear. And they sighed, We swear, then flew away. Then Frisia called to her all beasts, birds, and venomous snakes, who came to her, and swore, and disappeared. Then she stretched out her hand to Baldur, with a smile spread over her face, saying, Now, my son, you cannot die. Just then Odin came in, and when he had heard from Frisia the whole story, he looked even more mournful than she had done. Neither did the cloud pass from his face when he was told of the oaths that had been taken. Why do you look so grave, my lord? demanded Frisia at last. Baldur cannot die now but odin asked very gravely is the shadow gone out of our son's heart or is it still there it cannot be there said frisia turning away her head resolutely and folding her hands before her but odin looked at baldur and saw how it was the hands pressed to the heavy heart the beautiful brow grown dim then immediately he arose saddled Sleipnir near his eight-footed steed mounted him and turning to frisia said i know of a dead prophetess frisia who when she was alive could tell what was going to happen her grave lies on the east side of helheim and i am going there to awake her and ask whether any terrible grief is really coming upon us so saying odin shook the bridle in his hand and the eight-footed with a bound leaped forth rushed like a whirlwind down the mountain of asgard and then dashed into a narrow defile between rocks Sleipnir went on through the defile a long way until he came to a place where the earth opened her mouth there Odin rode in, and down a broad, steep, slanting road, which led him to the cavern Nipa, and the mouth of the cave Nepa yawned upon Nilfheim. Then thought Odin to himself, My journey is already done. But just as Sleipnir was about to leap through the jaws of the pit, Garm, the voracious dog who was chained to the rock, sprang forward and tried to fasten himself upon Odin. Three times Odin shook him off, and still Garm, as fierce as ever, went on with the fight. At last Sleipnir leaped, and Odin thrust, just at the same moment. Then horse and rider cleared the entrance, and turned eastward toward the dead prophetess's grave, dripping blood along the road as they went, while the beaten garm stood baying in the cavern's mouth. When Odin came to the grave, he got off his horse, and stood with his face northward, looking through barred enclosures, into the city of Helheim itself. The servants of Hela were very busy there, making preparations for some new guest, hanging gilded couches with curtains of anguish and splendid misery upon the walls. Then Odin's heart died within him, and he began to repeat mournful runes in a low tone. The dead prophetess turned heavily in her grave at the sound of his voice, and sat bolt upright. What man is this, she asked, who dares disturb my sleep? Then Odin, for the first time in his life, said what was not true. The shadow of Baldur dead fell upon his lips, and he made answer. My name is Vegtam, the son of Valtam. "'And what do you want of me?' asked the prophetess. "'I want to know,' replied Odin, "'for whom Hela is making ready that gilded couch in Helheim.' "'That is for Baldur the Beloved,' answered the prophetess. "'Now go away and let me sleep again, for my eyes are heavy.' But Odin said only one word more. "'Is Baldur going to Helheim?' "'Yes, I've told you that he is,' was the answer. "'Will he never come back to Asgard again?' "'If everything on earth should weep for him,' said she, "'he will go back.' If not, he will remain in Helheim. Then Odin covered his face with his hands and looked into darkness. Do go away, said the prophetess. I am so sleepy. I cannot keep my eyes open any longer. But Odin raised his head and said again, Only tell me one thing. Just now, as I looked into darkness, it seemed to me that I saw one on earth who would not weep for Baldur. Who was it? At this she grew very angry and said, How couldst thou see in darkness? I know of only one who, by giving away his eye, gained light. No, Vegtam, art thou, but Odin, chief of men. At her angry words, Odin became angry too, and called out as loudly as he could. No prophetess nor wise woman, but rather the mother of three giants. Go, go! Answered the prophetess, falling back in her grave. No man shall waken me again until Loki have burst his chains and the twilight of the gods become. After this, Odin mounted his eight-footed once more and rode thoughtfully home. Part two: The Peace Stead when odin came back to asgard hermod took the bridle from his father's hand and told him that the rest of the gods were gone to the peace stead a broad green plain which lay just outside the city this was the playground of the gods where they practised trials of skill and held tournaments and sham fights these last were always conducted in the gentlest and most honourable manner for the strongest law of the peace stead was that no angry blow should be struck or spiteful words spoken upon the sacred field and for this reason some have thought it might be well if children also had a peace stead to play in odin was too tired from his journey to go to the peace stead that afternoon so he turned away and shut himself up in his palace glad sign but when he was gone loki came into the city by another way and hearing from hermod where the gods were set off to join them when he got to the peace stead loki found that the gods were standing round in a circle shooting at something and he peeped between the shoulders of two of them to find out what it was To his surprise he saw Baldur standing in the midst, erect and calm, whilst his friends and brothers were aiming their weapons at him. Some hewed at him with their swords, others threw stones at him, some shot arrows pointed with steel, and Thor continually swung his great hammer at his head. Well, said Loki to himself, if this is the sport of Asgard, what must that of Jotunheim be? I wonder what Father Odin and Mother Frigga would say if they were here. But as Loki still looked, he became even more surprised, for the sport went on, and Baldur was not hurt. Arrows aimed at his very heart glanced back again, untinged with blood. The stones fell down from his broad, bright brow, and left no bruises there. Swords clave, but did not wound him. Thor's hammer struck him, and he was not crushed. At this Loki grew perfectly furious with envy and hatred. And why is Baldur to be so honored, said he, that even steel and stone shall not hurt him? Then Loki changed himself into a little dark-bent old woman with a stick, and hobbled away from the peace-stead to Frisia's crystal saloon. At the door he knocked with the stick. "'Come in,' said the kind voice of Frisia, and Loki lifted the latch. Now when Frisia saw from the other end of the hall a little bent-crippled old woman come hobbling up her crystal floor, she got up with true queenliness and met her half-way, holding out her hand and saying in the kindest manner, "'Pray sit down, my poor old friend, for it seems to me that you have come from a great distance.' that i have indeed answered loki in a tremulous squeaking voice and did you happen to see anything of the gods asked freesia as you came just now i passed by the peacestead and saw them at play what were they doing shooting at baldur then Frigia bent over her work with a pleased smile on her face and nothing hurt him nothing answered loki looking keenly at her no no thing murmured freesia still looking down and speaking half musingly to herself for all things have sworn to me that they will not sworn exclaimed loki eagerly what is that you say has everything sworn then everything answered she excepting the little shrub mistletoe which grows you know on the west side of valhalla and to which i said nothing because i thought it was too young to swear excellent thought loki and then he got up you're not going yet are you said freesia "'stretching out her hand and looking up at last into the eyes of the old woman. "'I'm quite rested now, thank you,' answered Loki in his squeaky voice. "'And then he hobbled out the door, which clapped after him and sent a cold gust into the room. "'Frisia shuddered, and thought that a serpent was gliding down the back of her neck. "'When Loki had left the presence of Frigga, he changed himself back to his proper shape, "'and went straight to the west side of Valhalla, where the mistletoe grew. "'Then he opened his knife and cut off a large bunch, saying these words—' too young for Frigga's oath but not too weak for loki's work after which he set off for the peace stead once more the mistletoe in his hand when he got there he found that the gods were still at their sport standing round taking aim and talking eagerly and baldur did not seem tired but there was one who stood alone leaning against a tree who took no part in what was going on this was Hodur, baldur's blind twin brother he stood with his head bent downwards silent while the others were speaking doing nothing when they were most eager, and Loki thought that there was a discontented expression on his face, just as if he were saying to himself, nobody takes any notice of me. So Loki went up to him and put his hand upon his shoulder. "'And why are you standing here all alone, my brave friend?' said he. "'Why don't you throw something at Baldur? Hew at him with a sword, or show him some attention of that sort. I haven't a sword.' answered Hodur with an impatient gesture and you know as well as i do loki that father odin does not approve of my wearing war weapons or joining in sham fights because i am blind oh is that it said loki well i only know i shouldn't like to be left out of everything however i've got a twig of mistletoe here which i'll lend you if you like a harmless little twig enough but i shall be happy to guide your arm if you'd like to throw it and baldur might take it as a compliment from his twin brother let me feel it said Odor stretching out his groping hands this way this way my dear friend said loki giving him the twig now as hard as ever you can to do him honour throw odur threw baldur fell and the shadow of death covered the whole earth part three baldur dead one after another they turned and left the peace dead, the friends and brothers of the slain one after another they turned and went toward the city crushed hearts heavy footsteps no word amongst them a shadow upon all the shadow was in asgard too had walked through frisia's hall and seated itself upon the threshold of gladsheim odin had just come out to look at it and frisia stood by in mute despair as the gods came up loki did it loki did it they said at last in confused hoarse whispers and they looked from one to another upon odin upon frisia upon the shadow which they saw before them and which they felt within loki did it loki loki they went on saying but it was of no use to repeat the name of loki over and over again when there was another name that they were too sad to utter but which filled all their hearts baldur frisia said it first and then they all went to look at him lying so peacefully on the grass dead dead carry him to the funeral pyre said odin at length and four of the gods stooped down and lifted their dead brother Noiselessly they carried the body tenderly to the seashore, and laid it upon the deck of the majestic ship Ringhorn, which had been his. Then they stood, waiting to see who would come to the funeral. Odin came, and on his shoulders sat his two ravens, whose croaking drew clouds down over Asa's face, for thought and memory sang the same sad song that day. Freja came. Frey, Gerda, Freja, Thor, Vanir, Bragi, and Idun. Heimdall came, sweeping over the tops of the mountains, on golden mane his swift bright steed asier the old groaned from under the deep and sent his daughters up to mourn around the dead frost giants and mountain gods came crowding around the rimy shores of Jotunheim to look across the sea upon the funeral of an Asa. na came baldur's very young wife but when she saw the dead body of her husband her own heart broke with grief and the gods laid her beside him on the stately ship after this odin stepped forward and placed a ring on the breast of his son whispering something at the same time in his ear but when he and the rest of the gods tried to push ringhorn into the sea before setting fire to it they found their hearts too heavy to do it so they beckoned to the giantess herokin to come over from jotunheim and help them she with a single push set the ship floating and then whilst thor stood up holding his hammer high in the air odin lighted the funeral pyre of baldur and nana so ringhorn went floating toward the deep sea and the funeral fire burnt on its broad red flame burst forth heavenward, but when the smoke would have gone upward too, the winds came sobbing and carried it away. Part four, HELLHEIM When at last the ship-ringhorn had floated out so far to sea that it looked like a dull red lamp on the horizon, Frisia turned round and said, Will any one of you, my children, perform a noble action and win my love forever? I will, cried Hermod, before anyone else had time to open his lips. Go then, Hermod, answered Frisia saddle near with all speed and ride down to helheim there seek out Hela, the stern mistress of the dead and entreat her to send our beloved back to us again hermod was gone in the twinkling of an eye not in at the mouth of the earth and through the steep cavern down which odin went to the dead prophetess's grave he chose another way though not a better one for go to helheim as you will the best is but a downward road and so hermod found it downward slanting slippery dark and very cold At last he came to the Gyalarbru, that sounding river which flows between the living and the dead, and to the bridge over it which is paved with stones of glittering gold. Hermod was surprised to see gold in such a place, but as he rode over the bridge and looked down carefully at the stones, he saw that there were only tears which had been shed round the beds of the dying. Only tears, and yet they made the way seem brighter. But when Hermod reached the other end of the bridge, he found the courageous woman who, for ages and ages, had been sitting there to watch the dead go by, and she stopped him, saying, What a noise you make! Who are you? Yesterday five troops of dead men went over the Gjallar Bridge, and did not shake it as much as you have done. Besides, she added, looking more closely at Hermod, you are not a dead man at all. Your lips are neither cold nor blue. Why, then, do you ride on the way to Helheim? I seek Baldur, answered Hermod. Tell me, have you seen him pass? Baldur, she said, has ridden over the bridge, but there below, toward the north, lies the way to the abodes of death. So Hermod went on the way until he came to the barred gates of Helheim itself. There he alighted, tightened his saddle-girths, remounted, clapped both spurs to his horse, and cleared the gate by one tremendous leap. Then Hermod found himself in a place where no living man had ever been before, the City of the Dead. Perhaps you think there is a great silence there, but you are mistaken. Hermod thought he had never in his life heard so much noise, for the echoes of all words were speaking together, words, some newly uttered and some ages old. But the dead men did not hear, who flitted up and down the dark streets, for their ears had been stunned, and had become cold long since. Hermod rode on through the city, until he came to the palace of Hela, which stood in the midst. Precipice was its threshold, the entrance hall wide storm, and yet Hermod was not too much afraid, to seek the innermost rooms so he went on to the banqueting hall where hella sat at the head of her table serving her new guests baldur alas sat at her right hand and on her left his pale young wife when hella saw hermod coming up the hall she smiled grimly but beckoned to him at the same time to sit down and told him that he might sup that night with her it was a strange supper for a living man to sit down to hunger was the table starvation hela's knife delay her man slowness her maid and burning thirst her wine after supper hella led the way to the sleeping apartments you see she said turning to hermod i am very anxious about the comfort of my guests here are beds of unrest provided for all hung with curtains of weariness and look how all the walls are furnished with despair so saying she strode away leaving hermod and baldur together the whole night they sat on those unquiet couches and talked Hermod could speak of nothing but the past, and as he looked anxiously round the room, his eyes became dim with tears. But Baldur seemed to see a light far off, and he spoke of what was to come. The next morning Hermod went to Hela, and entreated her to let Baldur return to Asgard. He even offered to take his place in Helheim, if she pleased. But Hela only laughed at this, and said, You talk a great deal about Baldur, and boast about how much everyone loves him. I will prove now, if what you have told me be true. Let everything on earth, living or dead, weep for Baldur, and he shall go home again. But if one thing only refused to weep, then let Helheim hold its own, for he shall not go. Everyone will weep willingly, said Hermod, as he mounted Sleipnir and rode toward the entrance of the city. Baldur went with him as far as the gate, and began to send messages to all his friends in Asgard, but Hermod would not listen to many of them. You will soon come back to us, he said. There is no use in sending messages. So Hermod darted homewards, and Baldur watched him through the bars of Helheim's gateway as he flew along. "'Not soon, not soon,' said the dead Esa, but still he saw the light far off and thought of what was to come. Part 5 Weeping "'Well, Hermod, what did she say?' asked the gods from the top of the hill, as they saw him coming. "'Make haste and tell us what she said.' And Hermod came up. "'Oh, is that all?' they cried, as soon as he had delivered his message." Nothing could be more easy. Then they all hurried off to tell Frisia. She was weeping already, and in five minutes there was not a tearless eye in Asgard. But this is not enough, said Odin. The whole earth must know of our grief, that it may weep with us. Then the father of the gods called to him his messenger maidens, the beautiful Valkyries, and sent them out into all worlds with these three words on their lips. Baldur is dead but the words were so dreadful that at the first messenger maidens could only whisper them in low tones as they went baldur is dead the dull sad sounds flowed back on asgard like a new river of grief and it seemed to the gods as if they now wept for the first time baldur is dead what is that the valkyries are saying asked the men and women in all the country round and when they heard rightly men left their labour and lay down to weep women dropped the buckets they were carrying to the well and leaning their faces over them filled them with tears the children crowded upon the doorsteps, or sat down in the corners of the streets, crying as if their own mothers were dead. The Valkyries passed on. Baldur is dead, they said to the empty fields, and straightway the grass and the wild field-flowers shed tears. Baldur is dead, said the messenger maidens, to the rocks and stones, and the very stones began to weep. Baldur is dead, the Valkyries cried, and even the old mammoth bones, which had lain for centuries under the hills, burst into tears, so that small rivers gushed forth from every mountain's side. Baldur is dead, said the messenger maidens, as they swept over silent sands, and all the shells wept pearls. Baldur is dead, they cried to the sea, and to Jotunheim across the sea, and when the giants understood it, even they wept, while the sea rained spray to heaven. After this Valkyries stepped from one stone to another until they reached a rock that stood alone in the middle of the sea. Then, all together, they bent forward over the edge of it, stooped down and peeped over that they might tell the monsters of the deep, "'Baldur is dead,' they said, and the sea-monsters and the fish wept. Then the messenger-maidens looked at one another and said, "'Surely our work is done.' So they twined their arms round one another's waists, and set forth on the downward road to Helheim, there to claim Baldur from among the dead. After he had sent forth his messenger-maidens, Odin had seated himself on top of the air throne, that he might see how the earth received his message at first he watched the valkyries as they stepped forth north and south and east and west but soon the whole earth's streaming tears rose up like a great cloud and hid everything from him then he looked down through the cloud and said are you all weeping the valkyries heard the sound of his voice as they went all together down the slippery road and they turned round stretching out their arms toward air Throne, their long hair falling back while with choked voices and streaming eyes they answered The world weeps, Father Odin, the world and we. After this they went on their way until they came to the end of the cave Nipa, where Garm was chained, and which yawned over Nilfheim. The world weeps, they said to one another, by way of encouragement. For here the road was so dreadful. But just as they were about to pass through the mouth of Nipa, they came upon a haggard witch named Thout, who sat in the entrance with her back to them, her face toward the abyss. Baldur is dead. Weep weep said the messenger maidens as they tried to pass her but thout made answer what she doth hold let hella keep for naught care i though the world weep or baldur's bale live he or die with tearless eye old thout shall wail and with these words leaped into nilheim with a yell of triumph surely that cry was the cry of loki said one of the maidens but another pointed toward the city of helheim and there they saw the stern face of hella looking over the wall one has not wept said the grim queen and helheim holds its own so saying she motioned the maidens away with her long cold hand then the valkyries turned and fled up the steep way to the foot of odin's throne like a pale snowdrift that flies before the storm end of baldur